Warning. The following episode will contain nonsense. Me making shit up. Rhyming words. Violence. Night fights. Fucking what fuck ever. And the following episode will contain strong language. Welcome to the Band Library Podcast. Welcome to the Band Library Podcast. My name is S.T. Harker, librarian, writer, Chicken Alfredo Ruiner. You can follow me on Twitter, at BandWriter. You can follow the library, at BandLibrary, on Twitter. Also, Instagram, Facebook, and Discount Mattresses by Larry and Gary, Reddit board. But I don't pay attention to most of those. If you'd like to help support the band library, go to our Patreon over at patreon.com slash bandlibrary. There's a link in the post and over on the website. For a dollar a month, just about $12 a year, you can be a member of the Friends of the Library and get access to damn near everything we've ever posted. Going back at least 40 years or so, Today we're reading Hop on Pop by Dr. Seuss. And I'll tell you right now, this book is, it's just utter damn nonsense. So, I'm just going to kind of make a bunch of shit up when we get to the plot part, because, well, you'll see. First, let's talk about Dr. Seuss himself. You've handled him before, way back with Green Eggs and Ham. I think that's the only one we've done. I could have done more research on that, but I didn't. He was born March 4th, 1904 in Springfield, Massachusetts, as Theodore Seuss, or Zeus, Zeus? Ted Geisel. His father managed a family brewery and was later appointed to supervise Springfield's public park system after Prohibition shut down that brewery as you're wont to do. He graduated from Dartmouth College, where he first started using the name Dr. Seuss in 1926 or 25. He used the name to write for the humor magazine. And the reason he had to use a pseudonym was because, well, Dr. Seuss got busted for drinking gin during Prohibition, and they banned him from all extracurricular activity. Something me and him have in common. Damn time travel. He then went on to get his doctorate in England, but he didn't. (laughs) Where one of his, um, I guess, benefactor's friends there pushed him into drawing rather than teaching, which apparently they saw his uh, notebook and were like, that's some pretty goofy shit, you should do that. So he came back over to the United States in 1927, started submitting 
drawings and little cartoons all over the place, and was soon published in the Saturday Evening Post. Married about the same year, 1927. And he supported them with his drawings and other writings. Spent the next decade traveling. He just made tons of money, and they just went all over around the world. 1936, finally got around to publishing his first book, shopped it all over the place. It was called, And I Think I Saw It on Mulberry Street. In World War II, he was critical of the Axis power's enemies, as most of us were, you know, we all were a little critical of Germany, Japan, and all that. Yet he was a little bit, a little bit too critical, if you look back on some of those drawings, his Japanese caricatures are, I believe the term is racist as shit. He also went after anybody who pretty much didn't want to go to war, including Charles Lindbergh, anybody else who was non-interventionist or isolationist. You know, those people that just didn't think we should meddle in the affairs of other people, which, in general, I'm kind of for, but... When goddamn Nazis are there, or any fascist in general, he should probably get involved. 1943, he actually did join the army. He was a captain, and he was commander in the animation department of the first motion picture unit. And it wasn't like the first one to ever happen motion picture unit. It was like there was probably a second motion picture unit, United States Army Air Forces, Made several movies there again, some of them not aged well. And then, after he got out of the army, decided, fuck it, and started just publishing hit after hit all the big movie books that you all love so much How the Grinch Skull Christmas, Cat in the Hat, Green Eggs and Ham. Fucker went on a tear publishing shit. 1956, Dartmouth finally got around to uh, giving him an honorary degree. So, finally, he was Dr. Seuss. Lied that whole goddamn time, 50-something years of life, 52 years. He was lying about being doctor. Came out of his mother's womb, I'm doctor. His mom said, fuck you, you're mister. And he said, child. Kept that shit going. He did die of cancer September 24th, 1991 in his home in La Jolia, in California at the age of 87. So, lived a really good damn life. Dr. Zeus, Zeiss, Zeiss. There's a bunch of different ways to say it. I think I may have some more in, uh, in here, but I'm probably going to say it wrong and I'm just going to keep saying it. Now, why was this book banned? Why was Hop on Pop banned? I read through it like I normally do. I was like, well, there's a bunch of violence in this. There's a bunch of hoopty doodle, you know, scary images, kids doing weird shit. Turns out, 2014 in Canada, some patrons agreed with me. They complained to the Toronto Public Library that the book should be removed because, quote, it is encouraging, it encourages children to use violence against their fathers. The complaint asked that the library remove the book and 
issued an apology to fathers. Can you imagine a library putting the notice out there? Dear dads, we are so sorry we have educated your children poorly. We have told them to hop on you. If you call, if your children call you pop, we regret this decision and it'll never happen again. But you know what? Fuck that. (laughs) Apparently, there was just a huge risk in being hopped on in the Toronto area at that time by children. Children were going on a hopping phrase. Craze. Just going nuts. Hopping on their fathers. Many fathers were killed that day in the Toronto area. It also, these patrons said that the library should pay damages resulting from the book, making me think that I am not bullshitting. And there were actually fathers harmed by children reading this book and saying, let's jump on our fathers. Which, that's an unattentive father. I mean, but that's what kids do, too. See your parent laying there, you just want to jump on them. Now I did it. I'm sure if I knew who my children were, they'd do it. The library, though, in their great wisdom with the Materials Review Committee, decided they were going to keep the book and pointed out that in the book, children were actually told, quote, the children were actually told not to hop on pop, unquote. So there you go right there. Proof in the pudding. Taking excerpts out of books that you want to prove your message. One kid jumps on one pop, then probably pops a testicle or two, gets mad, I saw it in a book. Parents just want to take all these books away. Maybe put a warning on there. Warning. This book will cause children to jump on you. Jump on their fathers. Destroy their faces. I just, it's, it's absurd to a nth degree. What if you buy the book? Can you sue the bookstore and get them to take it off the shelves? Assholes. So this is the point where we usually talk about the plot, but there is no plot here. Hop on Pop is basically a bunch of rhyming, barely couplets. So I decided... Turning the pages one by one. And going through. Come up with my own little plot. What I think you might call the subtext of Hop on Popped Up by Dr. Zeus. 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 So here we go. You can follow along if you've got a copy with you. Just go to the first page. that has like writing on it. Past the title, whatever. And here we go. A flying dog enters the air, watched by his bird friend. Is he dreaming? Or is the world this way because he is an alien or a small god? The dog, after landing, finds himself small. He was thrown due to his small stature. Now he hides in a cup, fearing for his life and putting on a brave face against the cruel world. Across town, there is a mouse. 
He stands tall on his house, watching for aliens or small gods flying by. Finding some, knowing his own kind, he picks up his house and runs to get away from his destiny. Creatures gather. Some are tall and some are small. They are ready for Armageddon and will die with pride, all lined up when the aliens or small gods reach us with their evil lasers. Some of the creatures place games to appease the aliens. They raise the difficulty when they toss a ball while balancing on a wall. They do not understand the aliens or small gods. Everyone here has been expecting. These are not small gods, these are ancient gods. And the gods find the playful creatures wanting. The creatures are tossed from the wall and perish one by one. Two small creatures defy the teachings of their fathers and the alien gods. They play during the day, pacified by the warmth of the sun. But at night, their pacification ends. They beat each other with the same rackets they played with. A night fight, indeed, to appease the ancient gods. The ancient gods send their champion who chases the children. Some children, gone feral by the death of their parents, fight back with teeth and claw. The gods send bees that attack and slaughter the unbelievers. The gods then decide to cause confusion. They plant fish in trees to prove their mysterious ways. A hero named Red rises. Then he goes to bed with his family. They are a cult of needy people, asking for a deliverance of sleep. Oh, sweet slumber. Save Red and his kind. A hero named Pat arises. He sits on various items that are avatars of the gods, like hats and cats and bats, to prove that the gods are useless. These ancient beings are no more. Then he tries to defy the will of the gods by sitting on a cactus, but is stopped by his younger self, time-traveling. A depressed father sits alone, contemplating the will of the gods. This is truly a dark part of our story. A choir is melded into a single being, and sings for the gods' kindness, sings to the ancient beings to deliver us. The lesser mortals leave that being alone to die unwanted, singing the praises of the old ancient ones. Then a pair of assholes just kind of walk and talk, and they come across their father, and they just beat the shit out of him, they attack him, they hop and pop. He shouts for them to stop, and they do. For now. A couple named Brown enter. The gods are not amused. Even when the man stands on his head. The flying dog from before. Our god, our ancient avatar of the old ones, lands on a seesaw Mr. Brown was on and sent him to hell. Up and then down. The being known as Brown returns. With the being known as Mr. Black. The two feast on the flesh of the creatures we have seen but into squares that mimic yek mock the gods. 
Multiple events happen at once. The gods decide to tear apart the multiverse. To end this existence of triviality. The cruel gods send hell to two dogs. They drown and enter the afterlife and serve the gods for eternity. Another being tests his universal will against the creators, the aliens, the gods, the ancient ones, by climbing the great heights. He dies from his hubris. A family stands for the will. They stand for the education. They stand for reading. The children demonstrate their knowledge and intellect. Their father humbles them. They die knowing their father is a greater match for their minds. And then one day they will rise up. They will know more than he and will take him down as they will reach into the heart of their own beings and know the ancient ones. But in the end, a small god decides to leave the world. We are not enough for it. Our existence of futility and blank nothing void and cold repetition is meaningless against eternity. And that's the end. Um, Overall, I mean, it's a really good book. It's good use of repetition. Sounds and words are really fun. It's Dr. Seuss, if you know Dr. Seuss's. You know, animation style or writing or drawing style, you know, that just really clever creatures and, you know, use of primary colors. It's just really good. It can also aid memorization, you know, because the same syllables and sounds over and over again. All the words are really simple. I don't think there's any word except near the end where they're like throwing out those $5 words when the dad's teaching them. And most of the words are, you know, three, four, five letters, if that. Of course, I recommend this. It's cute. It's fun. And it'll hopefully spur another generation of children into jumping on their fathers. Look out, Toronto. Kids are coming for you. And that's all I've got for this week. Uh, remember to follow us wherever the hell you follow things. I don't know. Just not in the street. I, I, it's a weird time. Let's keep that to a minimum. Stalking people. If you can, help us out on Patreon, patreon.com slash bandlibrary. Or follow us on Twitter and all that bullshit. And that's it. Thank you for listening. Stay in and read a book. Music, Dances and Dames, by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0.